This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQI plus storytelling night I host and program. If you're new to Queer Stories, welcome. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Head out to your local bookseller to buy the Queer Stories book and enjoy listening to this incredible archive of stories by LGBTQI plus Australians. Johnny Hawkins is an actor, writer and big-time DJ. He was the recipient of the 2016 Sydney Theatre Critics Best Newcomer Award and you may have seen him in the TV miniseries Peter Allen, Not the Boy Next Door or the ABC film Riot. In 2017, he made a short film called Joy Boy, which won Best Film at the Melbourne Queer Film Awards. Johnny is also one half of disco DJing duo The Dollar Bin Darlings, which is actually quite a tongue twister now that I try to say it out loud. Johnny is also one half of disco DJing duo The Dollar Bin Darlings, who you may have caught at the Bearded Tit, at Sydney Festival, or at other excellent happenings around the traps. Enjoy his story. Maeve um, called me and she said, Johnny, can you please come and do a queer story? And I said, Maeve, I've been waiting by the phone for your call. I know just the story I'm going to tell. And she said, oh, fantastic, what is it? And I said, well, one time I was asleep on my couch and, um, and I, got a, I got a text message and it was from a guy that I'd been seeing but he ghosted on me two weeks prior. And the text message from him said, hey, Johnny, sorry that I ghosted on you. Um... However, unfortunately, I have to send you this message. Um, I've started seeing someone, and anyway, we've discovered that we both have crabs, and I think I've given you crabs. (laughs) He said, I'm sending everyone this message. (laughs) And at first I thought, how does this man have so many crabs that he could give them to all of us? (laughs) And then I realised that I was asleep on the couch because my mum was staying over. And then the thought occurred to me, have I given my mother crabs? (laughs) But I was comforted in the fact that I will never know the answer to this question. It will just be a mystery between her and my father. And so I think this is the perfect story. And Maeve says, I don't know how you're going to pad that out for 12 minutes. And I said, Maeve, it may not be the story, but it sure is the introduction. My time starts now. When 
I was seven years old, mum and dad took us out for a very special dinner. It was a big fancy one. We went to City Extra at Circular Quay. <laughs> my mother asked me to get the waiter's attention. Immediately I stood up on my chair and then onto the table. I sang Puttin' on the Ritz and tried to tap dance like Fred Astaire. I call this a red flag moment. I grew up in a big Pentecostal church and uh, when I was nine years old, mum and dad had the senior pastors of the church over for dinner and my brother, sister and I were told to be on our best behaviour. At some point in between <laughs> dinner and dessert, I snuck off into mum's closet and I found this big coral shirt that she had and I put my little eight-year-old thighs in between one of the sleeves and it was like a tight little mini dress. And then I put my head through the head hole and my arms out where the body would normally be and I used the other sleeve as a little hood and I popped out of the little French doors in our living room and sang, Happy Birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> I also call this a red flag moment. <laughs> Blasphemy was strictly forbidden in our house. We were not allowed to say, oh my God. So instead, I would say, oh my Lord when asked where I'd heard this, it was the carry-all catchphrase of Blanche's from Golden Girls. And if you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me and the card attached would read, red flag. I was homeschooled until I was 12, but I was finally allowed to go to school because I was caught sneaking out of the house whenever mum left to do something. <laughs> mum got home and discovered I wasn't there. She ran around the streets thinking I'd been kidnapped and eventually found me at an elderly neighbour's house, my then best friend, Ethel. <laughs> Ethel and I had teamed up mum's shopping trips with lessons for me to learn how to use her loom I had asked Ethel to help me do a giant portrait of a woman called Darlene Czech, who is essentially the Christian church music's version of Celine Dion. <laughs> I think this may have been a red flag. <laughs> My first day of regular school, it was year eight. I was so tubby and tidy and always smiling because finally I was around kids. <laughs> I was neat and tidy and my socks went all the way up my leg and met my little tiny shorts. Sometimes I still wear these. <laughs> I, peer pressure had not formed any part of my personality and uh, I didn't really understand that I didn't fit in. <laughs> Everyone else liked Eminem. I, however, liked Bette Midler. <laughs> Not only didn't I fit in, I didn't realise it. One day a school bully, a bad, bad guy, he's got edge and attitude and knows how to ruin stuff, um, 
I think perhaps he'd spotted some of the red flags on me and he decided to let me know that he'd seen the red flags on me and that I didn't fit in. He got an apple and said, Oi, smiley! And then he pegged the apple at me. I haven't used the word pegged since that time as well. <laughs> he pegged the apple at me and it hit my little tummy. It winded me. But I was so clueless that I picked up the apple and said, Thank you for this apple. Thank you for this apple. Such a strange way to give someone an apple. For my year 10 formal, I had hand-sewed silk strips down the sides of my pants. I had begged the woman at the Kalani Heights laundromat to cinch the waist of my black velvet coat. I had provided her the material to make me a black skinny tie before they were cool. I pulled apart one of my school shirts to wrap around and exaggerate the collar of my formal shirt. <laughs> the outfit was a mess, but I was convinced that I looked just like Karl Lagerfeld. <laughs> Karl Lager red flag felled. My second week at a new school, a teacher caught me crocheting in the quadrangle. I thought I was making little red beanies for all the friends that I'd make. Turns out I was making little red flags. <laughs> My friend Stuart and I call these red flag moments because they are specific moments that you would think retrospectively that anyone that was watching might have maybe, possibly, potentially guessed that this little human being might probably be gay. But somehow at the age of 24 when I did come out, my family was shocked. <laughs> I chalk it up to willful ignorance on their part, a worldview conjugated with a religious history and growing up in Gunnedah in Dubbo. It is entirely possible that I am the first gay person my parents have ever met. <laughs> my father said, well, how's that going to work? Sex is between a man and a woman. <laughs> and then I think he was embarrassed that he'd said the word sex. And he switched tactics and went for a job site metaphor. He said, Johnny, if a plumber has a pipe going in the wrong hole, shit goes everywhere. <laughs> and as much as I'd wanted to argue, I had recently had a sexident which proved him right. My two best friends, Joe and Harry, uh, I grew up with these guys on the Central Coast and through Sydney and I'm still best friends with them now. They were somewhat less shocked. <laughs> I recall sitting them down thinking that the revelation of my sexuality would somehow betray them. That the bond that we had as best friends that would, would sever it, that the time that we had together might become managed. Like I might become not just their best friend but their best gay friend, Johnny. I was worried that they might be suspicious about what I wanted from the friendship. I was worried that they'd feel embarrassed about the high volumes of, volumes of time that we'd spent naked together. <laughs> the times that I'd instigated the nudie swims. <laughs> and one time an entirely naked weekend. <laughs> Actually, 
To be honest, I didn't instigate that. Joe did. We all went for a nudie swim and we got out of the water and Joe had hidden my clothes. And he was like, I hid your clothes. And I said, I think this is worse for you than it is for me. (laughs) And then in an act of solidarity, Harry also got naked. And then Joe went, this is bullshit. And he got naked. (laughs) I told them together in our share house in Redfern, I said, guys, I don't really know how to bring this up, so I'm just going to say it. Last night I kissed a boy and I really liked it and I'm going to keep doing that. So I guess that means I'm probably gay and I'm going to probably keep doing that a bit more, okay? (laughs) There was a moment. Harry and Joe looked at each other and then back at me and Joe squinted up his little forehead and he sort of squinted up his eyes. You could have blindfolded him with a shoelace. (laughs) He goes... (laughs) And what did you need to tell us? (laughs) There was an instance where I was having a difficult time at a house party and I'd started to cry. I I left the room that everyone was in and went to have a shower because that's like, there's no tears, I'm just getting wet. Um, And Joe and Harry felt this. They came into the bathroom and found me in the shower. Joe got in the shower with me fully clothed and he just hugged me. Harry went upstairs and he got three bowls of ice cream. Then he returned to the bathroom and then the two boys, they stripped off and we all ate ice cream in the shower. (laughs) They knew that the ridiculousness of this moment would bring me round and they were right. (laughs) Now, it would be easy to misconstrue this story of three men in a shower, uh, (laughs) maybe as something sexual. The picture it paints might seem a bit homoerotic. Maybe this is a red flag story, but the truth is this is not a story about a sexual awakening, about a young gay man's dream coming to fruition. This didn't have anything to do with me being gay. This is a story about the love of friends, about awkwardness around males crying, and most importantly, this is a story about the types of food you can and cannot eat in the shower. I call them wet, dry foods because even when they're wet, they're the same as when they are dry. (laughs) Carrots, celery, tomatoes, cucumber, watermelons, and some types of hard cheese (laughs) are all foods that you can eat in the shower. Ice cream is technically not a wet, dry food, but if you're willing to have a cold shower and don't mind soupy ice cream, you can do it, babe. You do you. Sometimes I think about the difference between being a gay man and becoming a gay man. (laughs) I remember not knowing something about some bullshit music theatre thing and someone at the table said, oh, hand in your gay card. I remember being at a wedding and a bridesmaid said to me, oh my God, I've been looking for a new best gay friend. Let's go shopping. And I thought, honey, I am not the gay you are looking for. I remember going to the Beresford on a Sunday and I couldn't help but notice that all the tables look like shopping aisles for different body types. (laughs) Uh, Oh, oh, nothing for me here. I'm going to go to the bearded tit. (laughs) Thinking about all of these things that I call red flag moments, though, I was a kid. I was a kid that was homeschooled in a Christian family on the Central Coast. I didn't know what gay things were. There was no exposure. I confronted my father in my mid-twenties. I felt like he was distant from me growing up and I felt like his absence had something to do with the little red flags. 
I said, Dad, I feel like you were kind of not interested in me when I was growing up. You and my sister, Amy, you, you had the things that you'd do, and you and Matt, my brother, you'd have the things that you'd do, but I felt a little bit left out. He said to me, mate, yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah, look. He goes, I can understand that. He goes, but the truth is, you're a real different kid to me growing up. I didn't know what to do with you, but you seemed really happy. So I didn't want to interfere. I didn't want to give you all my stuff. You seemed to have had it all pretty figured out, and I, I didn't want to muck that up. This was, like, not the confrontation that I was expecting to have. <laughs> I was actually really turned around. I realised in the moment that the fact that a conversation about me had never happened with me or this thing that made me feel both known and unknown at the same time, it wasn't brought up that there might be some sort of something different that was about me. <laughs> it, it wasn't willful ignorance. It was blind love for me. My family... They wanted me to be whatever I was going to be, even if it didn't agree with their worldview. They let me be myself and listen to me when I told them who I was. I was listening to Nakane's album, The Brave Confusion. And I just, I love that idea so much, being brave in confusion, being good at being lost, having the confidence in lacking a definition, essentially what it is to be queer. Those red flags that made me feel so obvious, known and unknown at the same time, they pointed to nothing other than the fact that I was going to grow up to be exactly myself. A person who is adamantly queer, happens to have sex with men and sometimes women, can be camp and fabulous, but butch when he wants to be and femi if there's a sense of occasion. He rides a motorbike, he's a labourer, but he definitely runs a disco monopoly on the work site. <laughs> he's a lover of Diana Ross and the best reverse parker in all of Sydney. <laughs> and he can eat a goddamn degustation in the shower. <laughs> I found out, in fact, that there are no flags on my back. Thank you. listening please rate and review the queer stories podcast to boost my ego and help spread the word for tickets and dates follow queer stories on facebook and for late night rants and photos of my dog frank follow me Maeve marsden on twitter for discount tickets to my shows as well as other perks become a supporter of my work on patreon for as little as four dollars a month details on mavemarsden.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.